Please be seated. This is our last sermon in our summer psalm series. Let's pray once again and ask for God's blessing on the preached word. Father, we are so thankful for giving us your holy, inspired, sacred word this morning. We confess that we need to hear from you this morning. We confess that so often we are confused. We are faithless. We are loveless. We don't trust you. We grumble and complain. Lord, as a result of the truths of Psalm 30, I pray that you would fill us with gratitude this morning. Send your spirit to that end. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a child, I went through seasons, like most children, where I was discouraged, down, and depressed. So I would mope around the house saying things like, my life is so hard. Mom and Dad, I'm so bored. There's nothing to do in this house. All we ever do is work. I would grumble and complain and mope and then complain about being depressed. So my parents knew exactly what to do. They said, Dave, we want you to go into your room, pull out a sheet of paper, and write down 20 things you're thankful for. And I thought, 20 things? Are you serious? That's impossible. That's like asking me to fly to the moon. Now, why did my parents strongly encourage or force me against my will to go to my room and write down 20 things that I'm thankful for? Because my parents are wise parents, and they understand that thankful people are joyful people. When you and I give thanks to God, we are turning our gaze away from ourselves and towards God. And when our gaze is fixed on God, we recognize that God is the fountain of all joy. So as we give thanks, our joy increases. It multiplies. It intensifies the more we give thanks to God. And this brings us to Psalm 30. Scholars refer to Psalm 30 as a psalm of thanksgiving or a psalm of praise. This psalm begins and ends, it's bookended by um, exclamations of thanksgiving. Psalm 31, David writes, I will, extol, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. David is extolling God. By the way, praise and thanksgiving are very, very similar in the Scriptures. And then verse 12, the end of the psalm, uh, David writes, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. As King David looks back across his life, which was full of heartache and pain, he thinks of all the ways that God has blessed him. And he is compelled to give thanks. And as he gives thanks for all the ways that God has blessed him, joy and praise well up inside of him. Which raises the question, how often does thanksgiving, which leads to joy, well up inside of you and me? And we have just as many reasons, if not more, this morning to be thankful. For joy to well up inside of us. 
Well, what is David thankful for specifically in this psalm? Uh, David goes through four categories of things that he is thankful for. Uh, He thanks God for rescuing his life. Number two, he thanks God for brightening his future. Number three, he thanks God for prospering his circumstances. And number four, he thanks God for reversing his fortunes. Now, as we think through these four areas, hopefully, Thanksgiving will also well up inside of us as we think about all the ways that God has blessed us. Let's examine each cause of Thanksgiving in detail. First, David thanks God for rescuing his life. Well, what does God specifically rescue David from? Several things. Uh, God rescued David from his foes. Look with me again at uh, verse 1. David says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. The opening phrase, I will extol you, is a form of gratitude or praise. Then David thanks God for drawing him up. Now, the Hebrew verb for the phrase, draw me up, was used of drawing a bucket from a well, and wells are often muddy and dirty and nasty. In other words, God has pulled David up out of a nasty situation. We don't know exactly what the situation was, but we know that God has pulled him up out of it. As a result, David says, that his foes or his enemies cannot rejoice over his misfortunes. So God has rescued David from his foes. In addition... God has rescued David from disease. Look with me at verse 2. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. At some point in David's life, he experienced some type of disease or sickness. He cried out to God, and God supernaturally healed him. As a result, he's incredibly thankful. Now, God still heals people today. If you doubt me, let me encourage you to read the book, The Case for Miracles by Lee Strobel. In that book, he catalogs or chronicles several hundred examples of medically documented miracles, people being prayed for in Jesus' name and being healed um, from things like blindness, deafness, arthritis, incurable cancer, brain tumors, and other things. God still heals today, and as a result, uh, we can be thankful Now, the question is, does God always heal Christians? And the answer is yes, but not in this life. Not in this life. But make no mistake, someday every Christian will be healed of everything when we appear in heaven in glorified resurrection bodies. Yes, someday every Christian will be healed, but maybe not in this life. So God rescued David from his foes. God rescued David from disease. In addition, God rescues David from death. Look at verse 3. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, or the place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Now again, we don't know the exact experience David is referring to here, but at some point in his life, maybe it was in battle, maybe it was some other situation, he was very near death. And God reached down and rescued him and preserved his life, saved him from death when death seemed inevitable. So God rescues David from his foes, from diseases, and from death. And as a result, David is incredibly thankful. And as he thinks back upon all the times that God has rescued him, 
Gratitude wells up in his heart, which leads to joy. Well, my friend, uh, Dr. Nathan Williams, has been a friend of mine since we were 14 years old. Uh, He's very, very intelligent. He has three master's degrees and a PhD in math. He's much smarter than me. He's also a very good athlete. He's one of the best tennis players in Spokane, and he's 46 years old. He's incredibly fit. He's pretty much a superhuman. He's smart, he's kind, he's generous, he's athletic. He has it all. Three months ago, he was playing tennis at Spokane Racquet Club on the court next to my son, Peter. And after a long, rigorous drill, uh, Nate didn't feel so good. His face turned white, and he began to feel nauseous. He put his hands on his knees, and it got worse and worse. He sat down, and eventually he suffered from a massive heart attack right there on the court in front of my son and all of his friends. Now, fortunately, Nate was hitting with another friend of mine, uh, Dr. Steve Thatcher, a medical doctor. Steve saw what was happening and recognized right away that Nate was in big trouble. And so Steve ran across the court to Nate uh, and saw what was happening, saw that he had a heart attack, and began to immediately perform CPR. And nothing was working. He was doing chest compressions, and nothing happened. So he said to Catherine, Catherine, can you please go find the defibrillator? And she happened to know where it was. No one else knew where it was. By the way, we have one in the hallway. If I have a heart attack, that's where it is, okay? So Catherine runs upstairs, grabs the defibrillator, runs back down. They turn it on, and they shock Nate, and nothing happens. They shock him again, and finally, his heart begins to beat again. They called 911, but 911 took like seven or eight minutes to get there. Side note, Nate tells me that when he had that heart attack, he literally, his, his soul separated from his body, and he, he, he had this out-of-body experience. Now, again, Nate is a smart guy, three master's degrees and a PhD. He's not a flake, okay? He's a credible witness. But he tells me that he, he, his soul rose up out of his body, and he was looking down on his body as his soul was, was floating up and, and hitting the ceiling of the Spokane Racquet Club. And then, when his heart began to beat, his soul went back down into his body. Now, that seems like pretty good evidence to me of a spiritual realm and the difference between body and soul, which means if you're a materialist, you have to have some kind of way to explain that. But anyways, the bottom line is, what happened was, my friend Steve Thatcher rescued Nate. If Steve was not there, Nate for sure would have died. I would have gone to his funeral a few months ago. But because Steve happened to be there, and because he was a medical doctor and knew what to do, Steve was able to rescue Nate and literally bring him back to life. Now, here's the question. Do you think that Nate is thankful to Steve Thatcher? Yes. You think Nate's wife, Holly, is thankful to Steve Thatcher? Yes. Every time I see Steve, I say, say, Steve, thank you for rescuing my friend's life. Nate's incredibly grateful. He's thankful. He's filled with joy because Steve rescued him. My friends, if you're a Christian this morning, 
God has rescued you from so much more. On this side of the cross, we know far more about God's amazing acts of rescue. God has rescued us from our fiercest enemies. He's rescued us from the power of sin. He's rescued us from the fear of death. He's rescued us from Satan. And he's rescued us from God's holy and righteous wrath. We have been rescued by God because God loves us. And God has also rescued us from death. Yes, as a Christian, you may die someday. Your body will go in the grave. But because Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave, someday your body will rise from the grave and be completely healed from all the things that ail you. Someday in your resurrection body, there'll be no more cancer, no more brain tumors, no more diabetes, no more deafness, no more blindness. We'll be completely rescued from the enemy of bad health. All because Jesus lived and died and rose from the grave. You may be experiencing a severe trial right now. This week, your life may be incredibly hard and painful. But if you're a Christian, the fact is you have been rescued by King Jesus. Why? Because he loves you. And if we recognize how much God loves us and how much he's rescued us. It will cause joy to well up inside of us because we're thankful. And we'll spend all eternity giving thanks to God for his amazing rescuing work through his son, Jesus. David is thankful that God has rescued his life. But he's just getting warmed up. First, David thanks God for rescuing his life. Second, David thanks God for brightening his future. Look with me at Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5. David says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now this could be a reference to David's sin with Bathsheba and the violent cover-up. Remember that story? David committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to cover up his sin. And David says here, uh, verse 5, for his, for God's anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. So maybe David's referring to that situation where, where God disciplined David because he loves him. There was in, intense pain in David's life for a moment, but then the rest of his life, David was prospered by God. Then David says in verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You and I will experience weeping and God's discipline. We live in a broken, fallen world. Life is very hard because of our sins and because of the sins of those around us and because we live in a broken, fallen world. Life can be incredibly painful. It can be very challenging and the pain can cause us to wonder, God, are you good? Again, verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor 
is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. David acknowledges the pain, but he also acknowledges that the pain is temporary. Yes, there will be dark nights. There'll be pain and misery, but joy always comes in the morning. And since this is true, since we know that God promises us a bright future, that there is joy in the morning, if we know that's true, then we can endure all kinds of heartache and pain for the time being. The prospect of joy in the future sustains us in the midst of current pain. Now, every July, the world's best cyclists gather in France for the Tour de France. I just watched an amazing documentary on the Tour de France, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the athleticism of these gentlemen. So the race is roughly 21 days, and they ride uh, at least 100 miles a day. Now, imagine riding 100 miles a day for over 21 days. Now, that'd be hard enough, but these men ride up and down the French Alps and the Pyrenees Mountains. Often, they ride uphill for three or four hours at a stretch. Imagine riding up Mount Spokane five or six times in one day. Their bodies are sore. They have awful blisters, chafing. A lot of these guys puke. A lot of them pass out. Plus, it's incredibly dangerous. If you watch the Tour de France, you'll notice that the peloton, which is the group of riders, there's usually about 100 riders that are really close together, they're roughly six inches apart. And they're going 30 miles an hour around tight corners on cobblestones. And if one guy goes down, guess what happens? Everyone goes down. Guys break jaws, guys break arms, guys break legs. Then there's the danger of going down the mountain. They exceed 60 miles an hour sometimes going down these mountain passes around steep corners. One of the guys says, imagine being in the back of a truck going 60 miles an hour down a mountain road wearing nothing but spandex and someone pushes you out the back of the truck. That's what it's like to crash going 60 miles an hour down a, a concrete road wearing spandex. So these guys are willing to endure incredible pain. They push their bodies to the breaking point. They're sore, they're stiff, they cry, they puke. It's very, very challenging. Now, why do these guys push themselves so hard? Why do they suffer so much? Because they know that the suffering is temporary. And they have the hope that one of them may be the Tour de France champion. And that glory will last a lifetime. So they're willing to push themselves to the breaking point with the hope that maybe one of the 150 riders will be the champion. Now, you and I don't just have the hope. We have the certainty that someday our lives will be much, much better in heaven. And as a result, we can push ourselves, and we can endure all kinds of pain and misery and opposition. And no one knew this better than the Apostle Paul. Consider the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Paul says this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction... 
Okay, keep that phrase in mind. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, Paul, what do you mean by light and momentary affliction? What does that mean? Well, he tells us what that means in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and 28. He's describing for us here these light and momentary afflictions. Verse 24 of chapter 11, Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Five times Paul's shirt was ripped off of his back, and a Roman soldier took a whip with nails and glass embedded in the whip and whipped his back 39 times. That happened to him five times. Paul's back was just one massive scar. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Imagine someone beating you with baseball bats until you're nearly dead. Three times. Once I was stoned. He was not smoking doobies. People took up rocks and tried to kill him by throwing rocks at his head. And then he was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul is not minimizing the pain that many of you experience or that he experienced, but compared to the eternal weight of glory. Paul says that all that pain is light and momentary affliction. Wow. That means that the weight of glory must be amazing. As many of you know, C.S. Lewis says that if we were to see someone in that state of glory... In their glorified resurrection body, we'd be tempted to bow down and worship them. The Apostle Paul knows that all the pain and sorrow, all the suffering is worth it because he has the prospect of a very bright future. Again, Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. If you're a Christian, there is joy coming someday, intense joy and full of glory. What pain are you currently experiencing? Troubled marriage, a dead-end career, a severe health issue or chronic pain, a difficult boss, a wayward child, financial woes. Pain is real, but when the pain comes this week, you and I must remind ourselves that our future is very, very bright. God promises us that someday 
will be in heaven with glorified resurrection bodies. And that, my friends, is cause for tremendous thanksgiving and joy. In the meantime, amidst all the brokenness, God still prospers us at times, which brings us to the next category. David thanks God for rescuing his life. David thanks God for brightening his future. Third, David thanks God for prospering his circumstances. Psalm 30, verses 6 and 7, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, and you hid your face. I was dismayed. David recalls his previous independent attitude and arrogant talk, but then he reminds himself that God was the one who prospered him. God was his rock. All of his blessings, all of his prosperity did not come from himself, but they came from God. But why does God prosper us? That we can praise him. Look with me at verse 8 and 9. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? David is saying, God, I cried to you for mercy. You answered my cry. You prospered me. And if I was dead, I wouldn't be able to praise you. I'm still alive, God. I'm still prospering because you want me to sing your praises. You want me to be grateful and full of joy. Make no mistake this morning. Most of you are insanely prosperous. What do I mean? Consider these stats. If your combined household income is 71000 you make more than half of American households. If your household income is over 71000 you are among the top 4% of wealthiest people in the world. Okay, did you catch that? If your combined household income is more than 71000 96% of the world has less money than you. If you make over $60,000 a year as an individual, it places you in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. That means that 99% of the people in the world make less than you if you as an individual make over over $60,000 a year. One financial scholar writes this, some politicians in the U.S. love to rail against the top 1%. The irony is that they are part of the global top 1% income earners as well. The median worldwide income is $2,800 per year. That means that half the households in America make more than 25 times the median worldwide income. 25 times the worldwide income? Talk about being rich. Even the bottom 10% of household income in America, roughly $16,000 a year, is over 5.5 times the average global income. In light of these stats, one author writes this, Therefore, choose to be happy or happier about your financial situation because there's a high probability that a random person on this earth would choose to swap their financial condition with you in a heartbeat. You and I, are incredibly prosperous as Americans. God has blessed us. We should never, ever, ever complain about our finances. 
The fact that you are not a slave, have clean running water, health care, transportation, and education places you in the top 1% of world history. Most of the world has been slaves. There's good data for this in the book by Charles Murray, Human Achievement, where he argues that most of world history has known nothing but slavery. It's roughly 70% of the world's population over the, the last several thousand years have been slaves. 70%. You and I are incredibly prosperous. Here's the problem. We're not that grateful because we think that our prosperity is the result of our hard work, our effort, our education, our ingenuity, our charming personality, all of our riz. If you're under the age of 30, that means charisma. But where do all these attributes come from? Here's all the young people over here laughing at my joke. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I have teenage boys. I was like, boys, Riz, what does that mean? <laughs> Dad, it means charisma. Okay, I'll use it in a sermon. <laughs> and I just did. And they're not even here this morning. <laughs> Here's the bottom line. Everything we have, all those attributes, come from God. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. <laughs> this is such a humbling verse. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You have received everything from God. Your genetics, your education, your personality, your work ethic. Where did that come from? Not from you from your circumstances, your genetics, your parents, your surroundings. Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything. But Dave, I work really, really hard. Again, where does that come from? According to 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it comes from God. That means there's nothing we can boast in. All we can do is say, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me education, good parents, work ethic, riz, Thank you. Thank you. You've blessed me. If we understand this, we'll be humble. We have nothing to boast in. All of our success, all of our prosperity comes from God, which should make us exceedingly thankful. And the more thankful we are, the more joy that you and I experience. Why has God prospered you? so you can sing God's praises and give your money away. David has many reasons to give thanks. Let's look at one more. David thanks God for rescuing his life. David thanks God for brightening his future. David thanks God for prospering his circumstances. And fourth and finally, David thanks God for reversing his fortunes. Psalm 30, verses 10 to 11. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, my helper, you have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth 
and clothe me with gladness. David describes how God has reversed his fortunes. God turned his mourning into dancing, and God replaced his sackcloth with the clothing of gladness. Now, when was this? We don't know for sure. Was this when David defeated Goliath? Maybe. Was this when David forgave? Was this when God forgave David for sinning with Bathsheba? Maybe. Was this when David's kingdom was finally restored to him after Absalom stole it away? Maybe. We don't know exactly, but we know that often in David's life, God reversed his fortunes. Why? Why does God reverse our fortunes? So that we'll praise him, so that we'll be thankful. Verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. God reverses David's fortunes so that David would sing his praises forever, for all eternity. Isn't this exactly what God has done for us? And again, on this side of the cross, we know so much more about how God has reversed our fortunes and changed our circumstances because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lawbreakers are justified. The dirty are cleansed. Orphans are adopted. The sick are healed. The weak are made strong. Enemies of God become friends of God. Slaves are freed. And hellbound sinners end up in heaven. Wow! God has reversed our fortunes in a dramatic way. Not because we deserve it but simply because God loves to shower us with grace and mercy. And here's the best part. None of these fortunes can be earned. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you go to church and pray and read your Bibles and give your money away, you cannot earn God's favor. You cannot earn these fortunes. God gives them away free of charge. And that, my friends, is the scandal of Christianity. There is nothing you can do to earn God's fortune or God's favor. All you have to do is admit that you're a broken sinner who needs grace. And when you do that, God forgives, cleanses, justifies, adopts, and secures a place in heaven for us and promises to work all things for our good and His glory. These are profound reasons to be thankful this morning. Now, if you're not a Christian this morning, there is no guarantee at all that your fortunes will be reversed. In fact, what God promises in His sacred word is all those who refuse to bow the knee to King Jesus will spend all eternity separated from Him. Now, to avoid that fate, all you have to do is repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and put all your hope and confidence in Jesus Christ. Ask Him to come into your life and transform you and change you and make you a grateful, thankful person. Just like King David, we have many reasons to give thanks to God this morning. As we give thanks, joy wells up inside of us. God has rescued our lives. God has brightened our futures. God has prospered our circumstances, and God has dramatically reversed our fortunes. So this week, 
If you are feeling discouraged, down, or depressed, consider finding a sheet of paper and a pen and going to your room or your study and writing down at least 20 things that you're thankful for. And as you give thanks to God, you'll find that joy wells up in your hearts. Let's pray together.